0: is jay jameson with her story podcast her is an acronym for heroic empowering and resilient and this is a self-improvement self-acceptance and women empowerment podcast my main purpose is to encourage empower and motivate all women by highlighting their personal stories of triumph over adversity each of us has a story an illness a financial burden or a dead-end job in general unforeseen circumstances can make you feel isolated or alone But when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, it doesn't mean that it is the end of your story. It is within the darkest nights, we produce the brightest stars. There are women out there who have gone through the very same barriers you are facing today, but they didn't give up. In fact, they use their difficulties to mold them into strong and resilient women. And if they can break through their hardships, so can you, because you are her heroic, empowering, and resilient. Great morning, good people. Again, um, this is Jay Jameson. First of all, I just want to shout out and just say hello because it has been a minute since I've released my last episode. And I do apologize because her story, you know, her story is my baby. I've created it and I love it. And I think that it's really important for women and women of uh, color, more importantly, just have a a safe haven and a platform so we can share and collectively build and share our stories. But with all that being said, y'all, I have been so busy. No excuse, but extremely busy busy and at times when you feel like you're above ground and you're still sinking, you need to take a break. So I need to take a, a small break just to regain focus and regain myself. But I'm back and I'm here with some awesome women to share their story and give you some great um content this Wednesday. And um so I'm excited. So with that being said, we have a very new topic today, right? We've often shared um, different topics or various topics. Some they may have a different perspective and um, different stories within that. But today is a completely different topic, and it holds truth and a connection to Louisiana. And. Um, it's the focus of louisiana and uh former formerly incarcerated people uh formerly incarcerated women women of color our black women and just the mass incarceration rate throughout the country some of you may not know but louisiana doesn't just have the highest mass incarceration rate in the southern region or in the in the country it's actually within the world right and just uh last year our state had a major victory under act 636 formerly incarcerated people were then given the opportunity to register and to vote but out of those formerly incarcerated folks 60 percent of those individuals were black so it's real y'all it's really it's real within our community it's modern day slavery um and when folks are directly impacted aren't re-engaged and don't have the opportunity to vote and take part of certain um you know uh Issues within life is a problem. Everyone is afforded the opportunity to have a job to, you know, once they paid their debts to society, to have a job that can provide a living wage, to be business people, to have um, adequate health care and affordable housing. But within the state of Louisiana, it doesn't really happen that way. You know, we actually are ranked 49th and 50th across every quality of life, but everything that happens bad i will say there's a person that's responsible for that and the person that's responsible for that are elected officials and those people that we hold in in office so one um Way We can voice our power. One way that we can be heard is by being reengaged into society and a part of that process. And today, actually, there are over 40,000 formerly incarcerated people within the state of Louisiana who now have the right to vote who now can engage in the process and it's a new step towards justice and towards the fight and engagement of our people so i'm really excited but i wanted to make that connection to the state where i'm living and what's going on but as we all know mass incarceration is not just an issue within louisiana or within the south it's throughout the country and again you know uh being incarcerated is modern day slavery and it it holds people back and if you don't have the mindset or the support or um just you know mentors and and people who will support you it can be very difficult so i have two brilliant women um two powerful sisters who have you know they've paid their dues and they're still um you know trying to get past uh, their past and be seen more as than, you know, the past and things that have once happened, but to create a new way for themselves. So uh, once people are incarcerated, you know, folks are often stereotyped and they may be ostracized because of their past, but they've grown and they they've evolved and everyone deserves the opportunity to be seen as a person and not just an individual or, you know, a a felon. And I'll talk about that language later. But everyone deserves to be seen just simply as a a human being and not based on or judged upon things that have happened within their past. So today with me, I have Ty and Francine.
1: Yes, yes, we're here.
0: (laughs) Super excited to have you all, y'all, from the West Coast. Yes. (laughs)
1: California, we came out here to um, just get a experience with Louisiana and the people and the culture, because I've heard so much about it, so we have to come find out for ourselves. Yeah,
0: they're they, they ready to try some gumbo, y'all. They, yeah. they <laughs> the gumbo, some crawfish. Gumbo. Yeah. Seafood, well, everything. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, y'all like to eat that. Well, if y'all would've came a little <laughs> earlier, y'all would've been able to get some boiled crawfish, because right now it's not crawfish season to have okay. boiled crawfish, but you mm-hmm. can still get it mm-hmm. like in pastas and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but that's, that's another, that's another uh, <laughs> <laughs> conversation. But I'm excited um because um they are a part of an upcoming series a docu-series titled life after the feds and we'll get more into that as we go into the interviewing process but i just wanted to shout that out and highlight that so that uh, our listeners will get an idea of where this conversation is going to go and uh that ties into like society and your environment and how things around you shapes you um, I had mentioned to you all before that I do a lot of work centered around our black men and boys. And at one point I had a conversation with a very bright young man. Um, he's an organizer in new Orleans and. He's a director of a program called Black Man Rising, but when we traveled throughout the state and tried to get a sense of the work that's being done that's centered around our black men and boys, we had these open discussions, and he had said something that was very clever, and I hadn't thought about it like that. He had used a very clever analogy, and he compared his past and his life and his upbringing to a loaf of bread, and... Hmm. He said that I didn't know that I had the whole loaf of bread when I saw my mom struggling to pick up crumbs every day. Mean, wow. Simply meaning, you know, he didn't know that he can dream as big. He didn't know wow. that he may have been afforded certain opportunities just like everyone else because he did see his mother struggling. He thought that's all that life was. Right. And when I previously had spoken to y'all, I feel like y'all have a very similar background because of the, the you know, society and the environment you thought that things were just that and that you couldn't see beyond that and um it led you to a circle of events so i'm going to Give you guys a, a little questions, and we can, you know, <laughs> interchange who's going to speak okay. and whatnot. But just it's comfortable, you know, it's, it's laid back, mm-hmm. and I really want you all to share your story because it's really needed. Okay. So um, when I had previously spoken to Ty, me and Ty had a conversation about two months ago, but we've been like conversing <laughs> up until this point right. through Instagram and everything about the floods in New Orleans and right, everything yeah. that's going on. <laughs> um. <clears throat> But you had mentioned to me that um, that you didn't really know what the norm was outside of poverty and violence, or you didn't really think that there was a norm outside of that. So I wanted to speak to you about how that reality actually shaped you in your adolescent years, and your adulthood.
1: Well, for me, unfortunately, um, I was born into a really negative situation um i really mm-hmm. feel like i was a product of just unwantedness and the reason why i say that is because um uh, my mother i was abused as a child mm-hmm. from birth wow. and um she hated me for some reason and growing up i had my family around me a lot of them they knew what was going on um with far as the abuse the mental and the physical abuse but nobody never did anything to protect me from that. And I think because of maybe whatever she, me growing up, as I became older, I look back on why would a person treat a child like that? And I just came to the terms that maybe something was going on in her mind to where she was so angry and frustrated, she took it out on me. Mm-hmm. You know, but... I grew up in Watts in the um I was born in seventy eight, so I went through the eighties and the nineties area when it was really heavily drugs violence. Mm-hmm. And that's it. There was no um there was no inspiration to be good. For us, our role models were um, the drug dealers, the game bangers. You know, either you was on drugs or you were selling drugs. And deep down in my heart I was Uh, I was hurt, and my grandmother, she tried to give me a little bit of love, but she knew that I was broken from a kid. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, my mom would come home. Like, I was always academically smart, and I would go to school, and I comprehend very well. So I would get good grades, but it was always overlooked. It wasn't something that was um, congratulated. I didn't have a mother to hug me, to hold me to um encourage me i would see all of the other kids they would get that and i wouldn't you mm-hmm. know what i mean um Take your like time. <laughs> mm-hmm. i can remember times where my mom would come home from work and i'll be outside playing with the other kids and she'll just call me in i'll come in there and she'll be like you just ruin my day every time i see you and i feel like, like really mm-hmm. so i always kind of had um Low self-esteem as far as love. I really just now learning how to have functional love. I just didn't know what that felt like. So I became very angry as a kid, you know. Because I didn't understand why I was being treated that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where, and then my mom used to physically abuse me, you know, from, like I said, from birth. You know, I had stories and I have, you know, memories of that. And so I became angry, and I promised myself I would not let nobody else hurt me. Mm -hmm. So I became very defensive with growing up. I had to defend myself. The people in our neighborhood were um, violent Mm -hmm. and angry, too. So I was the oldest child. My mom only had two of us, so I was the oldest of me and my little sister. So it was just like it was just me. So I had to protect myself. I didn't want to fight people. I didn't want to be like that, but I had to in order for me to survive. Right. So it was just survival. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like I said, school wasn't encouraged. Um being happy wasn't encouraged. That was the happiness. If you can fight, if you you know, you're so violent and aggressive, that was congratulated. Mm-hmm. So I just did what you
0: had to do to mm-hmm. survive. So uh, I heard that you also mentioned that, you know, you felt a sense of isolation because you didn't uh, really have that love and acceptance from your mom. Was there ever a point where you had built a relationship with your sister and you felt like you had to be defensive and, you know, defend her? Or you really just felt like you were the sole one that was out there, um, you know, on your own?
1: I always felt like I was on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, As a kid. Before I started experiencing jail and prison, I already felt like I was in prison Mm -hmm. inside of my own home. When I stayed with my mother, which I ran away from her house at like 11, 12 years old to get away. Mm -hmm. So me and my sister, that put a strain on us because for some reason, my mom loved her. She gave her affection and attention. She spent... Like, I would be in my bedroom, and they'll be in the other room watching TV and having a good time. So I always wondered, like, what was it about me that she didn't like? Right. So I was isolated. That's why I'm used to spending a lot of time by myself, because mm-hmm. I was always by myself in my own head. So that's why when I went out and started dealing with people in the streets, they welcomed me with open arms. Right. So you felt a, a sense of acceptance.
0: Yeah. And I remember you said it was pretty much as early as 11 or 12 years old when you first, um, you know, were, in, was introduced to a gang, but did it even really feel as though it was, you know, how the media portrays like gang banging or gang, like you felt like it was something that was wrong or it made you feel as though, you know, if I'm at home and I'm doing A, B, C, and D, and that's still not good enough, i rather interact and engage with them because this is family and i feel happy and secure within this environment
1: it was family like the media portrayal and the the, what you see on tv is not accurate it's just really a bunch of people who connected because they are all lost they don't have a good family structure so we combine and come together as a family and but by us being in such a toxic environment you get toxic things that come out of that right but the love and stuff is really real and true Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's authentic right so that's why you hold on so tight to protect your village Mm -hmm. it was like the good outweighed the bad within that it it really is
0: francine um Mm -hmm. with you in growing up did you have the same type of environment
2: um well I'm with my family I was I'm originally from Belize. I was born there and I came to California to South Central with my mom mm-hmm. when I was about three years old, almost turning four. And for me it was a little different. I've had a pretty good childhood with my mom. I'm the oldest of five girls. Okay. But my mom didn't start having kids until I was any more kids until I was ten. So gotcha. my childhood was pretty much just being only me and, Yeah, being me and my mm-hmm. mom. And a couple years after that, my father came out here and everything was, you know, my mom was very like overprotective. Stay in the house. You can't go out because it's all this stuff. You're not gonna be like these American You know, mm-hmm. she was just very restrictive when it came to things like that. But, you know, when my father came back around, I mean, everything was good at first, but they were trying to my mom was so like hung up on keeping me from outside when things started happening bad inside, she couldn't even see it, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, I found myself being, you know, molested by my father. Oh, wow. And, you know, I had... What I was, age were you? I was about maybe 10 years old mm-hmm. when it started. But my dad came, joined us out there when I was like seven. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I never thought anything. You know, I was happy to have my dad because I was like always asking like, well, where's my dad? When is he Did coming? Did even know
0: that it was wrong? What was going you on? You know, I
2: knew something was wrong with it. I mean, because you're a kid. It's Mm -hmm. just like, I know he's not supposed to be touching Touching me me. or Mm -hmm. doing this, but, you know, I'm kind of scared to say something because I don't really know, you know, how they're going to take it, what they're going to say, and everything that I thought, the negative thoughts of what I, the feedback I thought I would get from that is what I got. Yeah. So I didn't even tell my mom initially. I had actually told my grandmother Mm -hmm. because I just felt, like, more comfortable talking to her about it. She went ballistic, was upset went to my mom and you know whatever and my mom got mad at me wow so it was like I was being yeah I was Mm -hmm. a kid I was like being shunned for being honest like Mm -hmm. I became like an outsider in my own home Mm -hmm. so it was like don't talk about it. This didn't happen. Do you want your, do you want him to get in trouble? Do you want to send your dad to jail? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, having these conversations with me as a kid, I'm like 11, cause I didn't say anything till I was like 12. Yeah. So it's been happening for a Four while now. Years. And mm-hmm. it's like, now you're sitting me here in this like interrogation type of situation, mm-hmm. almost making me feel like, I, you know, no, I don't want my dad to go to jail, but I mean, I just knew something was wrong, and you guys are now blaming me, taking the it child. out on me, and mm-hmm. I'm not responsible for this. He's an adult. I mean, now me being an adult, you have to take ownership for the decisions that you make. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I started, because I was getting in trouble or being shunned for being honest, it made me just internalize everything that was Happening, whether it was me and my mom now, I felt like me and her had a real close relationship until this happened. So it put a strain on that. Then it's awkward now because my dad's still here. And you know, now I feel like the outside kid, my mom's having more kids, Mm -hmm. everybody's just on me, looking at me strange like it's me doing, yeah, as if it Uh was my fault. So that's when I started seeking outside, Mm -hmm. you know, like they don't care about me, they don't want me here, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So hang with the wrong people girl just guys and you know trying so different like, drugs just all out yeah of you,
0: 11 12
2: yeah
0: um you know pre-teens yes exposed to so much um almost ostracized by your family, family
2: the people that you think are supposed, are supposed to, be, to yeah. be there
0: and did you find like some type of safe haven when you said you were hanging out with, quote, unquote, the wrong crowd? I don't think,
2: for me, I don't feel like it was a safe haven. I mean, I may have at that time Mm -hmm. because it was just something other than the stress that I was feeling at home or, you know, whether, I mean, it it wasn't a safe haven because I was making a lot of bad decisions. I was experimenting with drugs, doing Mm -hmm. a lot of things like that that I would never recommend, of course, for any young person to do, and I was, like, ditching school a lot because... I didn't have any freedom at home. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I know when I'm away from home, I'm at school, you know, but this is the only time I have to really just be yourself. Yeah. And uh-huh. breathe. So I wouldn't go to school. I stopped going for a while. Like yeah. I would just go and hang out with my friends or whatever I was doing, guys going, drinking, well, you know, just all kinds of bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And it really, I look at myself now and I think, cause I, I feel like I'm a very strong individual, right. but it hasn't always been like that. I would, think about past relationships where I just kind of let people walk over me and it made me think of my mom like I used to just like I can't I don't find my I can't find myself in a relationship where I just let someone just completely just run my life like mm-hmm. I just can't because it makes me think of her right. like how did you let this man whether my you dad or not or whoever yeah. come in here and just have your mind like this mm-hmm. like I just can't do that like even with my daughter, I have custody now of one of my youngest sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go into that later because my mom, you know, she ended up passing away from cancer. and That was a whole nother thing because I still wanted that relationship with my mom to go back to, you know, what it, it was. was. So,
0: so litany of experiences on both ends. Um, at any point, and I'm going to bring it back to Ty, at any point, I remember you were saying that you felt as though you were confined in your own home, right? And the same, same mm-hmm. thing with you, Francine. You felt as though you were confined within your own home when you both started engaging in the wrong crowd or, you know, at least um, tied. You didn't feel as though it was the wrong crowd then because that's where you got your sense of love uh Francine on the other end you knew it was the wrong crowd but that wrong crowd was better than being in home and being with your family and things of that nature so even when y'all saw life kind of like uh spiraling you know unspiraling or whatever and um I remember Ty you mentioned that you went you got into the system at a young age because you were going to juvenile detention centers and things like that but it was an ongoing cycle and, um, I w- like, you know, people, they talk about the school to prison pipeline and mm. it's, it's real, it's you know, very it's real. very real. So if you could just share what that actually felt like, because you were felt as though you were confined at home, but you rather be, you, you know, you rather had been incarcerated on in a juvenile detention center than actually going back to that reality. So what made you feel like
1: that? I just felt like, first of all, the system, um, my grandmother, I have to go back a little bit because my grandmother, um, she said one day she stayed home from work and she heard my mom just, you know, treating me the way she was treating me. She took me to the police station and she asked them for help. And they was just like, well, we could just put her in jail. And she like, no, you know, I want to get her help because something has to be mentally wrong for a person to do this. So with me, when I started experiencing incarceration. My mother, mind you, who had no sense of who I was at all, took me to for them to lock me up. Nobody never listened or tried to find out what was, what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. What is bothering this person? You think you got an 11, 12 year old. What will make them choose those decisions? Nobody want to listen. And for me, going into the system, the top priority, what they do is they put you on drugs. Mm-hmm. juveniles. I'm talking about some hardcore, sedated type of drugs. So now you have, they lock you up, and then they drug you up. And that's their solution right. to America. They put, yeah, they don't want to hear, I went to counselor after counselor, they would not listen. They assume it, it came up with their own solution right. and try to tell me what was bothering me. And I'm just, at that point, I just shut down and stop talking. Mm-hmm. Because clearly nobody wants to hear the pain and hurt what you, of really what going I'm going through. through. Mm-hmm. You know, and they it's, put it's me on thorns. interesting that you <laughs> said that
0: because I hear it so often, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, within the black community, how when there is, you know, sexual allegations and molestation charges and things that come out, when you know that people need to seek therapy and counseling. Um, when I talked about like mental health, mental health issues with different black counselors and psychologists, they often did say that, when people go out to, to get counsel, they're not being heard, mm-hmm. and especially the black population in general, you know, they write it off as schizophrenia or as something and just give them medication when it's not really being solved. It's a pacifier. Yeah, and that brought it back to, um. I'm also, I'm a mentor, and it was a young black girl, like maybe 17 years old, but you know, it was a lot that had transpired and happened within her life, and she didn't want to speak to her counselor anymore because she felt as though her counselor was not listening. Yeah. So she came to me and, you know, I didn't understand it at that time. Cause I'm young at that time too. Right now I'm 29, but maybe it was like 25, 26. She was like 17, 16. And it's just like, okay, I didn't understand it then, but even a few years had passed. I'm like, well, maybe because I'm the only person that was Listen. actually listening to mm-hmm. her and treating her as if she was a human being and not just, okay, this is my patient. Let me do this. Here's yeah, your medicine. Yeah, because sometimes
1: if you just let a person get it out, mm-hmm. even if you may not understand it or probably can't relate to it, but the simple fact that you let them get it out without passing judgment, without trying to put them on drugs, mm-hmm. that they can start the healing process. You know what I mean? I see people, like, let me give you an example. You got people that go to prison 5, 10, 15, 20 years. The whole time they in there, they're on drugs mm-hmm. that the government has given them. Then they put them out into society. It's like a crash course to life. Where do you begin? So now you're going through withdrawals because you need some more drugs to even cope with a mm-hmm. day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see people... They go to the mental health, they get more drugs or they turn to street drugs because yeah. they don't know how to function without that. Yeah. How do you, so for me I went into this last time when I went to federal prison they tried to dope me up more. I said no, I'm going to have to deal with these demons inside of my head and listen to my hurt and pain myself and then finally release it mm-hmm. and start to live because I have to deal with the reality of what really hurt me and which what hurted me was my parents, my mm-hmm. childhood. So I said, well, I always wonder, and I ask questions to God. I said, what am I here for? Mm-hmm. I have been beat from birth. I have mm-hmm. been, the mental abuse was way worse than mm-hmm. the physical. I seen so much death and violence in the streets. Ninety percent of the people I grew up with is dead. Five, five was in jail. And I'm here. I survived it. Mm-hmm. And I still have a clear mind. I still want to live life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. Why am I here? So I figure I said, Well maybe I had these parents just as a vessel for me to get to this planet and to go through these things to find my purpose so that I can help other people. Right. Mm-hmm. To share it. Yeah. Just to it sharing a simple story can do so much mm-hmm.
0: because I know that this can reach so many different people. It can reach so many different people. What both of you are doing can reach so many people. And it's so so important just to simply share your story so someone doesn't feel as though they're the only person that's out there going through it.
1: And you have good people. Like, I'm really genuinely a good person Mm. who really didn't have much good choices to choose from. People have to understand that. like, well, why are you going to do this? I mean, you have to look at the whole environment around me. It was all negative. So in my mind these I could choose this choice or this choice, but everything I pick is gonna be bad regardless. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to get outside this box right. But in my heart and in my spirit, I wanted to get outside the box. I wanted to break free. So it took this all journey of all of these years, all this time but I kept in my heart and my in my spirit fighting for I know it got to be something. it has to be something better than this. Mm-hmm. So when I'm going out and I see other people who have loving parents who have children and they happy, I I yearn
2: for that. Mm -hmm. I just want to touch on that. You see how you say, like, you would see other people and think they have a loving family? I feel like that was, like, the facade that my family had. up. Mm -hmm. Like, people would look and be like, oh, Francine, she's such a pretty little girl. She's all dressed so nice, and her mom and her dad and this household. No. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? To me, I was living my own, you know, just trauma in itself you know so sometimes the things that we see and think it's a certain way it's really not
0: it's not
2: Mm -hmm. because i was that little girl that was just wanting to get away from that family you know Mm -hmm. and being caged in my house and shunned for being honest and now i feel uncomfortable around my own people and i don't i don't even have a voice here Mm -hmm. i can't say anything you know because i'm gonna be looked frowned upon or you shouldn't do that. You don't want your dad to get in trouble. Right. Like, I couldn't even imagine myself saying something like that to my daughter if she were to tell me that some even if it was her own father or whoever, doing anything, and I'm just like, you were the you, child. You need to stop. Stop saying that. Don't say right. that anymore. I, we don't want to hear that. You don't want to get your dad in trouble. You want your dad to go to jail? I mean, as a kid, you like, I mean, no, I don't want my dad to go to jail, but I don't want to be a yeah, cushion yeah. for somebody's right. You know, so
0: what were your views and perceptions, perceptions of men as you began to get a I little older? I didn't really
2: older? trust a lot of men. Mm-hmm. Everything was always like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay. I mean, and even now, I mean, I'm married and I feel like, I mean, I've grown and I've come a long way and I had to learn how to be loved properly and know that someone isn't always just some type of predator to me. You know, Mm -hmm. that it actually is good people out here. Because I would always feel like someone was wanting to take advantage of me. Mm -hmm. And then I go back to that 10-year-old little girl that goes into a sunken place and don't really want to deal with people because, you know, I feel like you're trying to, you know, come for me, excuse me. Mm -hmm. But that's really hard for me now. Like, even in my adult life, like, it's hard to trust people, hard to, you know, I don't really deal with a lot of people, you know. Mm -hmm. And i had to really you know forgive my father that was like a big thing for me and it recently just happened um when i say recently i mean it's still a couple years ago but that's still recent for me Mm -hmm. yeah you Mm -hmm. know my mom passed away in 2012 she had breast cancer and um that's kind of when I found out she had cancer is when I kind of really, I've been always wanting to reconnect that relationship because I love my mom, mm-hmm. but I was let down by her, you know, okay. I was disappointed. So when she got sick, you know, I really wanted to go back around and try. So I had to put my feelings to the side to be there for her, to be there for my sisters. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have anything to do with this and I always had a fear of him doing something to, to them, them. Mm-hmm. but I couldn't just go and, you know, Take them away from them, you know, that was like their mom and dad too And I just felt like it was just different for me. It was just like I always was like, you know, the outside kid that you just you know, whatever so I had to put my feelings to the side and it's crazy even to this day. I mean my father he goes back and forth He's actually in Belize right now. Oh, wow, but he acts like nothing like, you understand? Like, mm-hmm. to him, it's, I don't know if he forgot or, like, what's wrong with this really? man? Like, he really acts like... As though he was an,
0: another like who like it was so, Like, he doesn't out. know
2: anything. Like, he mm-hmm. would... Like, like, it never it, happened, like right. nothing never happened. Mm-hmm. And I just be thinking to myself, like, I could... And I even... With my mom, I would wonder, like, how could you still want to be with him? Mm-hmm. If I found out that my daughter's dad or any man, grown man, was, like, messing with a little kid to me, something is wrong with you. You need to go seek some help and find out why something you know everybody has their own different trauma and clearly you have something that you need to deal with Mm -hmm. you know and address some underlying issues and you're taking it out on these kids you know what I mean and he he just acts like it's nothing like everybody just went on with life like nothing ever happened and I was just left with all these feelings of sadness, I am scared, I'm having anxiety as a kid, I don't really know how to act or what to do, you know? And then all of those feelings turned into something else. Now I'm that that sadness is turning into anger. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. That fear is turning into hatred and I'm just it just it was just, you know. So how did your mom
0: or your family react when you were um in and out, you know, in and out they of made the system? Seat,
2: and it, see, I was actually never in and out of that, That never mm-hmm. was was jail, you okay. Until I got older, after mm-hmm. my mom passed away and I felt like I needed to, I would had to be here for my sisters. I didn't trust him being with my father or mm-hmm. him to be, you know, so I was like, I have to Make get, meet, get, get, you know, it. get it mm-hmm. together. So mm-hmm. that's when I started getting involved in different things and making decisions that ended me up in federal prison. Yeah, You know, and that's where me and Taisha actually met. You know, so that's how our stories kind of intertwine. Yeah. We come from two different, you know, sides mm-hmm. and live two different lives. Mm-hmm. But here we are in the same boat now. Right. How did we get here? And y'all
0: wanted something different, different. outside. You know it. what I mean? Yeah. So
2: it was just, it was just crazy. Mm-hmm. I just, I feel like a lot of people don't ever have a voice and sometimes within your own family. Yeah. And that's really sad. You know, I, in my own house, I felt like I didn't have a voice. I raise my kids totally different. We have yeah. an open door policy. Yeah. I may not—you're not always going to like what I have to say, and I'm not always going to like what you have to say. It's okay to be upset, but it's not okay to be disrespectful. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, so in my house, it was—we well, don't care how you feel. We don't care what's going on with you. This is what it is, and that's just what it is. It's going to be. Mm-hmm. You don't like it? Get out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean i feel like that happens so much within the black community right. like it's I'm a lot of like community. young what I say, women getting yeah it. yeah and then mm-hmm. all these things happen to them in their house i've heard i've heard so many people say they got molested when they were a little girl by close family members right. and it's like swept under the rug i, mm-hmm. I think
1: that goes back until uh, back into the time where we were suppressed as a people period mm-hmm. so we were always told shh be quiet don't say nothing being hurt and tormented and treated as trash is okay yeah that goes back to slavery, slavery days right. yeah. mm-hmm. we were taught to be treated like mm-hmm. that so it becomes normal even like the raping and the molestation yeah. being
0: beaten just all of these things yeah, yeah. and it's 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 generational it's generational yeah. and that's why i feel like it's continuously being passed on mm-hmm. until you have people like yourselves who come out and vocalize Mm -hmm. it and this is wrong and it needs to be talked about. Mm -hmm. Right. And as you said, both of you were in the system united trying to figure out what's more, Mm -hmm. what's more out of this. So when did, and um, I'm looking for like an age range to like, when did it hit where I remember you said, you said that I have to make the choice to heal And to think of life outside of this, you said, I have to make the choice to forgive my mother and, you know, try to forgive my father. So when did that really click that in order for me to really heal, I have to make the choice to forgive people who ultimately will never say that I'm sorry?
1: I was in federal prison, so I had to be maybe 35, 36 years old.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I finally let it go I'm like I've been drinking the poison and hoping they die and to this mm-hmm. day they they live life on their terms mm-hmm. so all this time I've been so angry and mad and not living life to the fullest because of them and they can care less why mm-hmm. should I walk around with that Right. I have to let it go mm-hmm. you know what I mean so it, it's sad that it took that long but I'm thankful that I came to that decision I I finally understood you know and I always was, like I said, angry mm-hmm. on the exterior, but hurt on the inside. Right. You yeah. know, I wanted to take that down. I want to be able to smile. I want to be able to trust people. I Even for me now, being a mother, I, I'm learning still. I have four kids, and I had children not knowing how to love them. Mm-hmm. Um. My children, I found sometimes they would, they're such happy kids that they would want to hug me and be giving me affection that I didn't know how to accept. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have a hard time with giving people hugs and things of that nature. I'm still learning. Because it wasn't given to It you, wasn't so given it's hard. to me, so it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to, um, it's kind of, it made me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So like I said, even with dealing with men, like Francine said, I don't know if it's genuine. And then for me, like my dad, which I love him, he always was in and out of my life. So when I deal with men, I find myself expecting them to leave. Yeah. I didn't know that at first, but now I'm constantly aware or I will create situations to where I'm like, in my head, like this person isn't gonna be here anyway. Remember, I'm used to being isolated. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't want that for other people. I don't want that for my children. I want to help children and adults that have maybe had some of them similar feelings. So they can let it go now and start to live. There's so much life out here. And so the, much. They, the journey
0: of healing, as you said, it's not something that is, okay, today I've made up my mind and this is it and everything is fine. It's continuous yeah, from time, day, to day, day to day to day. And I know it's often some circumstances where you're reminded of it, but you still have to make that choice to cope with it and to heal as yeah. well. So that was that was really important that you said that because sometimes people are really dying inside because they are just hoping for that sense of healing just in longing for it to come. And it's a daily process and your journey is different from mine, mm-hmm. from the next person to the next. So it's really important that you have to realize that your path and your journey is just that, is yeah. yours and what about you
2: see I feel like for me I was I just kept internalizing things for like a long time so I felt like I kind of was living a front you know what mm. I mean because I was just like oh no everything's good it's all good I'm girl I'm good and inside I wasn't good you know right. I like I said I always still wanted that relationship with my mom and it was just not the same ever again I didn't trust men didn't trust people I just mm-hmm. would always feel like it was some alternative, ulterior motive or something. Right. Why you want to be my friend or mm-hmm. why you want to talk to me? You know, you when have, guys... You have to want something Yeah, I, I felt like it must be mm-hmm. something that you want from me. Like, I, 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 I always think about myself when I would talk to any guy or anything, I would be like, well, what, why do you want to talk to me? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Tell me. You know what I mean? Like, I would always feel like I probably wasn't good enough or it's something that they have. You know, but for me, with my mom, I actually... Got somewhat of an apology or some sense of actually acknowledging what happened when she was like gonna getting ready to die. Yeah, and but did that provide some type of closure it, for you? You know what? It did. I'm not gonna lie, it did. Mm-hmm. Cause you know it was maybe about a week before she passed away. She, you know, was at, they brought her home to their house. She was on hospice, and I went over there to visit her. And you know, I was kind of really trying to spend some time with her. Cause I love my mom she right. might have made decisions that I don't agree with but she's still my mom and right. you know I can't she th- those are her decisions that she made and she has to deal with God with whatever happens with that you mm-hmm. know I can't hold her accountable because I'm not you know I got I'm not the judge of anybody right. so you know I would go visit her and we were talking and then she was just kind of like you know I know some things. Like, I just knew what she was talking about. Like, she didn't say, say oh, your dad directly. molested. You know, she didn't say those direct words, but she was just like, I know it's some things that, you know, have happened, and you probably feel like I haven't always been there. You know, all that stuff. And I feel like I, I, I don't know, I feel like I really needed that from her. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it was at the end or just never or whenever, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it did, it just was almost like, you finally acknowledge what happened like instead of just making me feel like i was wrong or i was lying or you know something like Mm -hmm. that and this is this is just a little backstory, but my dad he is definitely a piece of work Mm -hmm. i mean i'm 32 years old now i have no reason to lie about anything but i remember this one situation and i was probably about almost turning 12 like 11 somewhere in between there and I don't know if he felt like I was going to say something or going to tell someone because I was just acting more and more like, okay, this is this is wrong. This is wrong. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know if he felt that. So he tried to portray me a certain way to my mother to get in her mind. It was crazy because one day I came home from school and, you know, put my stuff down. I'm in my room just, you know, listening to the music, listening to the radio. Boom, my parents come in my room like, Oh, you know, my mom, she wants to search through my backpack. I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm just like, search through it. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, what do you guys think is going on here? My mom opens my bag and it has some condoms in there. Mm-hmm. Oh my wow. God. Listen, wow. how old were you? I was like 11 or 12. Know. So one of mm-hmm. somewhere right there. Yeah. And it was some condoms in there. And then I'm looking like, I don't know how that's I don't know what that there. is. Mm-hmm. My dad told my mom that he was missing some condoms out of his drawer. In, I guess in their room or something like that. So he was trying to set up... You, you set me up yeah. to look bad to my mom. So in case when like things came out, happens. it's like, oh, she's fast. She's yeah. the little girl. She's the one that's out here. And uh-huh. I couldn't... Believe, I mean, now that I'm older and I think about that, like, you mm-hmm. were setting yeah. me up. Oh, you were setting me up and I was just a kid. Yeah. And my mom, was. Well, she was like furious because she's like, what are you doing with this? Uh-huh. You're out here being fast. What are you doing, girl? You know, all this mm-hmm. stuff. But he was setting up her mind to follow him so when he tell her whatever she was just like you understand yeah. what I'm saying and I I just thought like people are really crazy and this happened to me with my dad yeah like you tried to so you, I can <laughs> understand
0: how hard it is for you to trust someone yeah like you had someone as close as your mother and your father against, against right you. you yeah
2: and mm-hmm. I just you know and then when my mom ended up passing away I was 25 when she mm-hmm. passed away so still very
0: young Yeah, still so trying much, to figure so me yes
2: to do and I think mm-hmm. that was like, me losing her was kind of me gaining some more of myself, and I had mm-hmm. to say, say it like, it like that. that. Mm-hmm. But just hearing her say that, and I just always feel like I just don't want to. I, I, I feel like I grew up with people, not these good role models, but er, just examples of what I don't want to be like. Mm-hmm. Want,
1: you know. I so I want when to I say pre- this too is that I want people to understand that by us sharing these stories, we're not victims anymore we're, we're survivors yeah we mm-hmm. are definitely survivors and that's what we want to help people do is survive right. and to be triumphant and out of all of that i tell people if you can make it through all of those things and still like i said have a sense of sanity and still want to live life and try to find the good in people mm-hmm. then you survive you you're i mean you really can't yeah. get much better than that i don't want people to look down like oh I so, feel so bad like how did that no I made it through that I'm, <laughs> <Right. and> I'm <laughs> right. you can stand right. tall yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. you know and
0: so wait wait yeah. both of you like I said so young um is there any uh like with with your non-profit organization mm-hmm. are you connected to any youth within the communities or any type of mentorship just to speak yeah. to young girls maybe around the age of like 11 and 12
1: we're working on that. Our foundation is fairly, fairly new. new, okay. So, but we have, um, we are working with other nonprofits in the area. So we're working on that, and it's crazy that again we want to talk about the government and if they really want to help the inner city, the black community, and the brown community, mm-hmm. they don't like. We've applied for grants, and so we went into, you know, these classes where they want you to go to these workshops in order to get it and they're giving off the money you talking about three four hundred million dollars to big corporations? yeah it's like i know what my community needs mm-hmm. i know the resource if we had this type of funding the impact that we will make on our community Right. but they don't want to do that mm-hmm. they want you to come to the table with three four hundred thousand all of these this red tape all of this stuff to keep you from attaining this this money in order to help your community right. people don't know that part and mm-hmm.
2: And let me just touch on this, too. A lot of how we decided to start the nonprofit, you see, both of us were incarcerated in federal prison, but look at all the underlying issues. Yeah. You know, I feel like they just, like she said, like Ty said earlier, they lock everybody away and don't really look at what's the problem. Mm -hmm. This is happening in communities everywhere. Right. You know what I mean? It's another 10-year-old little girl out there getting molested by her father. Mm -hmm. And or another 32 year old woman that has never talked about it, and right now may be her time to just be like, you know, maybe I can talk about it because they just you end up feeling embarrassed you feel shame but, you know in society because, does yeah that
0: and people are judging from the outside looking in mm-hmm. and i always everybody has a background everyone yes, yeah. has a story you cannot judge someone and say okay they're a low life. they they chose is it no you don't yes. know where they've come from yeah, you don't. and y'all had a litany of experiences since y'all were children, children. Children, all of that impacts, all of that shapes your environment, all of that shapes your thinking. your thinking. But what's even more powerful is how you both of you looked outside of that and you saw a need to collectively come together and to build too. Because I will say, as you know, within the black community and as as, as women, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, we're in competition with each right. other or you know, uh, you could have been like, you know. I've, I've been incarcerated. This is something, this is my piece and I want to stand on this alone. Mm-hmm. No,
2: both of y'all came together. See, me and Ty, you know, we met in prison. We mm. were like bunkies yeah. and we came to find out that our kids went to the same school. Wow. So that's I was, true. and I've never, I never met Ty. Look, look how no, that came together. That, that's what, that's what I'm saying. That's, so I was, That's not just by chance. <laughs> right. That's not by that's chance. That's what me and her both said because uh-huh. I was just, I've never met her in my, right. like, life outside of being here. So I'm mm. just like, our kids go to the same school. They friend. They know. They in the same grade. Her her youngest oh and my God. daughter.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so it was just like, okay, wait, you know. And then mm-hmm. me and her clicked and got along so well. And it was just like I got out before she did. Mm-hmm. Still remained in contact with her, and you know, just tried to be some type of support system because people don't have that. Right. Me being in there and meeting a lot of different women from a lot of different situations, how they ended up there, what they're going through. You know, just different things, and I'm just like, wow. And you- then
1: the children—they had something in common once they found out. It's like, you know, our parents—they don't both- feel isolated. Mm-hmm. Like my mom is in jail, nobody's here. Or then, you know, so that's why it's our foundation is important too for the children who are left behind. Right, because mm. mind you, our children think that we're good. You know what I'm saying? That like, my mom, how could you put my mom in jail? Where is she at? So they're going through this trauma now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's why it's very important that we touch those children who are left behind and give them a sense of hope and give them some stability, mentally and emotionally, and connect them with their their parents, right. either the father or the mother. Because
2: yeah. when you're gone, it is a disconnect yeah. between your child. Yeah. You come back, it's like it's awkward a little because you mm-hmm. haven't seen them. They, I mean, whether you talk on the phone, you cannot be a parent on a fifteen minute phone call. Right? Can't mm-hmm. you can't. You know, and children grow up so yeah, fast. Yeah, they do. They so grow up so fast.
0: You don't. Know, and at the same time, too, you don't know what they're being fed on the perception the, yeah. of people in prison from social media, mm-hmm. from what they see on TV. Mm-hmm. Is this my mom? Right. You know, like what brought her here? So yeah, it's definitely it's... Being I can in see that environment a is,
2: was definitely an eye opener for me because I had never been incarcerated before, so that was my first time. But I'm not gonna say. That I'm happy that it happened Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of glad that it did because I met some really great people and I've learned a lot from it Mm -hmm. you know I think I went and got what I was supposed to get you know and see all the bad that's happening in there as well like Mm -hmm. like I told you earlier I'm originally from Belize Right. So at the, I just got my citizenship last year in okay. November, oh. but um, when I was incarcerated, <laughs> I, I was still just a green card holder. Oh, wow. So when I was being released from prison, I was just telling talking about the society, but when I was released, from, they sent me to prison in Alabama, because uh-huh. you know the federal prison, they can send you anywhere in the United States. Right. So I was in Aliceville, Alabama, FCI Aliceville, and when they released me, they released me from there, but they released me to ICE. Uh-huh. Because I'm yeah, not green card. Yes. And oh when my you gosh. get a when you get a felony, they try to City, deport you back. Right. Mm. And they brought me to Jenna, Louisiana. That's uh-huh. the last time I was here. Yeah. Some it, it, I just remember the place Ain't called G- Yeah, and they mm. have a ICE holding facility mm. there. And I was there for like maybe three weeks, I believe so. They were trying to figure out what they were going to do. Thank goodness, Lord Jesus, that they let me go. Mm-hmm. And they dropped me off, like, in the middle of, like, I was in Shreveport somewhere, mm-hmm. and I got on, like, a Greyhound. This was the last time I was here, though, in, right. in Louisiana. I never had been here before, until they, they brought me here. And mm-hmm. now, look at me here this time. But, Being a tourist. Right, right, right.
1: <laughs> you see how life
2: works? Yes. There's, there's joy That's at a, the end of it. It is. I yeah. was just like, wow.
1: I say, I tell people all the time, to stay hopeful and to really dream big. Yeah. People like in our communities they're told like you can't do that. That's impossible. Why would you think something like that? You're crazy. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. Dream big, etc goals and go after them and you will obtain them. And right. focus on yes. them.
2: Do it's just it's not going to just fall into your lap. You have mm-hmm. to You, gotta you hard. got to work. When I tell people about being positive, it's not just you being positive. It's everything that you're taking in. Mm-hmm. The things that you're looking at on social media, the T, the yeah. shows that you're watching on TV, the people that you are allowing in your space, all of that adds to who you are, and what you, you know. Consider? All of that adds to you know who you are and how you feel about things. So mm-hmm. when I decided, like I, I can't, I don't want to do. I want to focus on being positive, keeping positive people around me, manifesting my thoughts into a reality. Right. You gotta keep. You gotta. That's, that's real. You have that's to really real. Because you I've can meet someone. It. And they can completely drain you and take all the positive energy Mm -hmm. from you. You'd be like, okay, this is what happened today. You know, I, this is something, something the, is
0: crazy the power of the tongue and the power of the mm-hmm. mind is so, so real so real. like and you know my story is just i've told you about just like adolescent years and me like accepting who i was and just my image and things like that but even after college right i always try to check off the box like mm-hmm. okay so i have to be on the dean's list and this mm-hmm. i have to be engaged i'm in sga i'm the class queen i'm this and that you know and when things don't, when things didn't work out for me once I had graduated, I had always had dreams of, you know, I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to do this. And I was in this position where I didn't really know what was next. Right. And it really did take a toll on me mm-hmm. because it was just like, what was the point of me finishing school in four years, doing all these great things, you know, be, having the second highest GPA? And I'm like, and I can't find a job to save my wow. life that I'm passionate about, you know? So it put me into a place where I'm like, It didn't even make any sense for me to to want to to be so, you know, set these goals and things Mm -hmm. like that. And so when I was working within my job, and I had different jobs until I became a program manager for a nonprofit, but it was just like... Every single day, I would wake up, I would cry, or I would just sit on my sofa and not move. Like, I, the year after I graduated from college, I didn't work. Though. Yeah. yeah, the I, was, I graduated from college, I did not work for a year. I literally sat on my sofa until it was like 7 or 8 o'clock or something like that to go out and to get drunk and come back and do the same wow. thing every single day. And when I finally did find a <laughs> job that I really did love, it was because I told myself that this may not be my dream job. Right. But there's a difference between being complacent mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. a distant in uh, a difference from like just saying that I'm just going to do like the mundane things right. and just live from day to day. So when I really accepted what it was and thought that, OK, this may not be the dream job, but this is something I'm going to work towards. That's when things became aligned. I had to change my way of thinking. So that's why I always say. When I wake up each morning, when I say these different affirmations, when I tell my thing, myself things, when I set the tone for the day, those things are real. Those yeah. things are real no matter who you are, where you're yeah. from, or what part of life, you know, where, whatever space you're yeah. in. It's so real to just have a positive mindset. But like you said, it's those folks around you too. You got and it. it's okay to say, you know what? I can't really rock with you anymore. Yeah, that's my, you got to do what's
2: best for, for you. you. I
0: had to cut off friends that I had been friends for ten years with and it's just like, you know what? That's the difference between being a friend from being an associate, having someone that's just gonna well, yeah. go out with you. And sometimes it's hard because you've invested so much time mm-hmm. into them, into their family and whatnot, but it's just like this isn't good for me right, right now. So I have to make that choice.
2: I had to learn also not to take everything so personal. Like mm-hmm. I would always be concerned about other people's feelings. And I'm not saying that you can't be concerned about other people's feelings, but you have to be concerned about yourself, too. Right. I, cause, but that's how I was, like, what happened with me is, you know, just growing up, always putting my feelings to the side and making everyone else have to be good, and I had to just deal with whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was going through a depression for a long time, really, and, and I didn't, wasn't even aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the way I would look at depression or, think, or mental health issues or anything like that would be someone just, you know, looking, I don't know, like... I, I don't know what I thought it was supposed right. to look like, I mean, but I just didn't. think
0: 100 in the black community, someone who is going through mental things, they're quote-unquote crazy. crazy. So yeah. that's yeah. what I,
2: I would think mm-hmm. I would look at. I'm like, I'm not crazy. Nothing's right. wrong with me, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's depression. When you're really sad inside and you're acting like it's not nothing going on. Yeah, You can get up every day and go on with life, and then when you're at home, like you said, it's by like yourself, you're just mm-hmm. like, oh my God, this, this
1: is just not right, you know? Mm-hmm. But... So I, that I, I relate to what you said, a lot. so. Um, I want to ask you: What you doing? What you're doing now with the podcast and allowing people to tell their story? Does that make you feel liberated? Do, is that your passion? Like most definitely,
0: I will say this: I know that my voice is my power, mm-hmm. and I knew that from a very young age because I never was shy. Right, so I was like the little kid that was in Beta Club doing public speaking. I'm Catholic, so it's just like I was the, the lector and, you know, just I just love to talk in front of people and audience. and It didn't even matter for me, but it was just like I knew that my voice was my power and I wasn't really sure how I could use it. Mm-hmm. And so with me formulating my podcast, it was, it gives me a sense of liberation for the fact that I'm helping other people. Yeah. Everything that I do within life, I try to do it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I had always prayed to God. God, please use me, take who I am, who I want to be, and use me for a passion and a purpose much greater than myself. And right. that's a quote from Martin Luther King. And it was just like, I, whatever it is in life, I just want to make sure that I'm helping other people. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. I know that I love to public speak. I know that I love to talk. You mm-hmm. know, as y'all can tell, yeah, I love to talk. <laughs> no, that's, that's but good. it's just like, you know, when I started this, like I told y'all just from the very First few um episodes and people just getting their own sense of liberation and telling stories they hadn't told to anyone else, and them releasing certain things, and then so much positive things happened to them after. I was like, you know, this is this is right. Yeah. This is right, and I have to continuously do this. And even when I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, I had to take a little break So it was just so much going on. Because once again, it's important to give yourself a yeah. break. You mm-hmm. know, when you feel like sometimes you're being buried, but like this is my baby this is my voice this is my purpose and my purpose is with helping other people Mm -hmm. and making sure that their stories and things are being heard so yeah it definitely it connects i appreciate appreciate
1: her story i really do i appreciate even knowing that there are women of color out there such as yourself Mm -hmm. like you say you have issues that you struggle with totally different from ours but we also need those type of role models out there so my daughter can see or somebody else's child can see, like, look at her. This is woman looks just like you.
0: Mm-hmm. And look
1: how she is living her life. Listen to what she's saying. Yeah. Yes, she has went through things, but how, how has she dealt with life circumstances? Right. We need to see all sides of the spectrum. Definitely. So it, mm-hmm. as a community, I feel like if we get more of us, more people like you, more people like me, that we can build up our future generation mm-hmm. to be great. It's all you know about I mean? the power in numbers and collectively mm, yeah. building.
0: I'm I'm really uh, just passionate about that concept in general. And I wanted to, um, as we're going into a close, we've been talking a long time. <laughs> but it's still, you know, it's just like
2: we can keep going. going. going I can going. Go, um, go, girl. Um, but okay. even
0: as we are, we're coming to a close, life after the feds, and I want to talk to you about the language, right? Because when I say the language, um, a few... Weeks ago, I had partnered with, well, my organization is the Power Coalition, and we also uh, work with Vote, Voice of the Experience, which was founded by Mr. Norris Henderson, Mm -hmm. who was formerly incarcerated. Vote is a nonprofit organization founded Mm -hmm. by formerly incarcerated people. And um, Black Voters Matter out of Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia, when we formed the 40K Rising Tour, which you know 40,000 mm-hmm. uh, formerly incarcerated people now have the right to vote. We formed this tour to go throughout Louisiana to get people registered to vote. But um when I, I spoke at uh, city hall about it and just like the engagement process and things like that but also how the media likes to portray formerly incarcerated people and the language that's used like ex-con and ex-felon and um just speaking with different people who are formerly incarcerated they try to stay away from the language of ex-con and ex-felon because they feel as though that's language that's still holding them back And um, that, you know, that the system likes to use or, you know, some people like, you know, that's words that they use to try to put us down. I'm still a person. I'm still an individual. So I want to ask both of you, like, how do you feel about that language? Do you feel offended at times if people refer to you as ex-convicts or ex-felons or do you rather to be, you know, I'm formerly incarcerated, but I'm still a person? Like, how do you feel about that whole concept in the language?
2: Um, for me, it doesn't bother me because mm-hmm. I feel like that is a part of my life. I that what that was once me, just mm-hmm. like I was just that you know reckless child. I mean, all of that is me. Yeah. You know, at different stages in my life, mm-hmm. I'm not embarrassed of it. I mean, and the fact that I'm just not embarrassed and it doesn't bother me. I overcome that. It doesn't right. mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. For me, um, I don't let it. Oh, I don't let it bother me. I don't let it bother me.
1: I'm. I wouldn't say, God, let it bother me, but I don't want to be addressed as that. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that the government has put that stigma on us. I don't like the fact that they even tell us um it's against the law for us to be around an ex-felon. Mm-hmm. Well, who do I supposed to be around if I relate to this person? They're on a positive path in their life. But they are ex felons so I'm an ex-felon now. We want to go to jail. We're not just regular people. Right. That's a law that they have. Mm-hmm. So Half I think oh, all that, that getting out their family and their community—it's right. all ex felons Where right. they gonna go? Mm-hmm. You know, how, where do I supposed to go and talk to and relate to? I I don't know, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Just like I don't like to be called black. Mm-hmm. I don't like that stigma that they put on us because my look at my skin, I just don't see black. Yeah. So, I don't like them type of words to be used. I want Certain people to address me as Miss Huntsman or Taisha or Todd. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 so our opinion is a little bit different. different I mean, and we're entitled and to that. Like you're entitled yeah. to everybody, that. mm-hmm. And that's what people,
2: I try to get people to understand. Yeah. You know, everyone is not going to always think the same. We're going to agree to disagree on a lot of things. Right. But that's what makes you uniquely you and makes me me. Mm-hmm. That's her story. And this is my story, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I want to touch on something real quick. I had, you know, I take my notes so I can uh-huh. remember. Certain things. <laughs> but, um, so they have this, I was reading up the other day and they have like this bill in California. It's called the, um, AB 1076, but it's supposed, they're trying to get it to pass where when someone finishes like their sentence and their, are um, um supervised release or whatever else that they need to com- once they complete it that they automatically seal their criminal records so wow. when you're going to apply for jobs or housing or half the things that hold you back because it's coming up that you're a felon they're yeah. like oh we don't want you over here mm-hmm. you know they have um the where you can go now and file to get it expunged or down to a misdemeanor but half of the community doesn't want to do that because they don't want to go and deal mm-hmm. with the police again yeah. Yeah. when they're already feeling like they've been dealing with that, so mm-hmm. they don't want to do that. But now this will automatically, they have the system where they have to check it and automatically just steal it. That's so awesome. I'm, like, really hoping that that, you know, yeah. Yeah, that
0: that that's really awesome. I'm that, excited. It's needed. It's needed.
2: Yeah, needed. automatic relief. I don't see why, if I'm if already done, I paid my, yes. Why do I still have to be, uh <laughs> the, what are, the, where, girl, why do I have to be caged on paper for the rest yeah. of my life? Mm-hmm. I'm just branded now. Oh, you a felon. Mm -hmm. I've went to job interviews before and was overqualified. And Mm -hmm. once they, oh, we want to hire you. Okay, just fill this out. And, you know, here goes the background check. Now it's no callback. That's crazy. You know what I mean? That's not really Mm -hmm. fair. It's not fair at all. It's not. not But that's the system for you. Mm -hmm. You know, we're meant to be the underdogs. Mm -hmm. And just like Ty was saying earlier, we went to a lot of different places trying to seek funds you know we're independent we don't have we're not government funded right for anything that we're doing mm-hmm. so if they're not just here like hey you guys go help your people you know we gotta fight mm-hmm. for it and then when you fight and you get one step forward they like oh you know what you don't got this 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 and this right then you get this this and that then it's oh well you don't have that you mm-hmm. gotta have this you know what i mean it's like they always just want to keep you down but right. we're gonna keep fighting girl we're gonna keep I'll doing you, what we need to do you
0: win and when you use yeah. your voice you know y'all are here right now right. in new orleans from both of y'all from Cali y'all from <laughs> right, right yeah. here in the South but your your words and your voice and your story is going to be heard throughout right. the country and it's continuously being heard um so can you tell me a little more about the docu series life after the the feds um when is that actually sure. going to be aired or is it on YouTube like oh, what's gosh. going on I'm about with to that, you all that
1: right um so life after the feds is about um of course, people transitioning from federal prison back into society and what that really looks like to really rebuild.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's going to be airing in January 2020. That's okay. when we're going, to awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to release it mm-hmm. then. And I can't really enclose the details on what network is going to be on just yet because of, you know, yeah, you all of that. <laughs> <like> Technicality. <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's definitely coming out. And it, it, and it has great stories, not just from us from California, but people all over the world. So you get to see, and then different people from different nationalities. Mm-hmm. You know, the minorities. You know, the things that you go through. But what I really like about it is the triumph that's come from us really working hard to better ourselves and our community as yes. a whole.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That's, that's the good part. Even though we're going through all these different struggles with being on probation, how they hold you back. They really, coming out the halfway house, their main focus is to get you to go back to prison. Mm-hmm. People don't know that. People yeah. don't know the walls. and It's an obstacle course to just even get, like she said, free from paper. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see that. And I think with us showing that, it's going to inspire so many it's people. Hard. Because what they don't know is in when you're in prison, they have you watching these crazy shows about just stuff that don't really matter in life and rebuild it. You need to, So we want people to see something for people that's coming out like, okay, they made it. They did this. They went through X, Y, and Z, but they still made it. They didn't give up. They didn't turn back to the drugs, alcohol, or they didn't go back to the street life just to survive. Mm-hmm. It's rough and hard, but you can, if you stay dedicated, have a purpose, have a plan, have a, find your purpose first. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to set them goals in order to really transition to...
2: And it doesn't happen no, overnight. Like, right, it's a constant struggle. I mean, I'm not where I want to be right now, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm still trucking, keeping on they're every still day. Going. I'm and still, still going. going for the
0: future. Yeah. All yeah.
2: I can do is pray for the best, and mm-hmm. you know, work towards whatever goal that I'm trying to accomplish, and keep God first. Keep
1: God first. <laughs> yes. So yes, you definitely. I definitely am spiritual. I take time out all the time to. Just meditate and pray. I'm not tied to the religion part, but the spiritual aspect of mm-hmm. life. I hear God speaking to me, yeah. and that's why I don't quit. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had moments of depression since I've been home. I go through those certain things, but I hear God to tell me to keep going. You made it this far. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I love this uh, quote out the Bible when it says, "Like don't worry about." First of all, don't worry. I mm-hmm. think that would be the biggest sin for. A lot of people is the worry. That's what stops you from even getting further. Because God said, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, and none of that. Look at the planet. Yeah. So now I like to look at trees have and flowers and, mm-hmm. and, and all of care that. Care I'm about. like, only thing they have to do is just embrace being this tree. And God took care of the rest. Right. So if I embrace being myself and being good to other people, I'm going to be it's okay. Also gonna be, it's ultimately okay. going to be a return yeah. to you. Yeah. I'm going to be it. okay.
2: Tenfold.
1: Which, right. <laughs> You know, so that spiritual connection is is really well. Then, with dealing with mental health, I don't think medication is key, but I do think therapeutic sessions such like this is mm-hmm. is okay.
0: good.
2: Yeah,
1: and it's okay to
2: cry.
0: Yeah, it's okay to cry and to just let it go. Sometimes that's the only thing yeah. that you need. Like just a few days ago, I was just tired i didn't know mm-hmm. what really was wrong with me but i was just tired mm-hmm. and i felt overwhelmed and i know it was a sign that i needed to slow down mm-hmm. because i'm a very prayerful person but i wasn't really praying you know and i was mm-hmm. just like you know what it's like i knew i needed to just pray and let all of this yeah. out but it was just like i was just like ugh, like i you <laughs> know I, I don't feel like doing this right now because i got too much to do but mm-hmm. i prayed i let it out i cried and i'm like. So, so much, much better. better. Yeah. I feel so much better. Now I can regroup and now I can refocus. You, you know?
1: give it a go. Another three, four, five months forward you have to stop and yeah. do it and let all it right. out
0: again.
1: And <laughs> in life, that is okay.
0: That I is just yeah. posted a quote today on Instagram. It's just like, you know, like life is beautiful mm-hmm. and then it's crazy and then it's mundane. And then, you know, and then something horrible happens right. and then it's back beautiful. <laughs> but it's like, hold on to right. each moment because all those moments are going to shape you and mold
2: and that's what exactly I was saying earlier. Every bit of me—from the ten-year-old me to the reckless me to the whatever me—you know, the mm-hmm. felon that they want to say, hey, <laughs> you right. know, it's all made Francine who she is today. Right? right? You know, I don't. I was. I, I used to be where I was like very embarrassed a lot of things about a lot of things that happened to me and wouldn't want to say anything because I wouldn't want people to look at me in a certain light. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just like, you know, That's it mean. happened mm-hmm. and I, I overcame it and I'm here now. So what's going on? Where are we are we going to eat? About you know? And, um, and also, does. as you know, I'm funny girl, you know, before the recording was cracking a little joke. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've been, I, I embrace that a lot, you know, okay. so I've actually decided to start my own podcast. Yes. Uh, it's called Two Cents with Teddy B. That's okay. me. That's my whole thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I just have like one or two episodes now. I just started. Um, it's up on you know Apple Podcast. Every every platform is on there. Two Cents with Teddy B. And mm-hmm. yeah, girl, I've been talking about love, relationships, right. everything in between. Oh, we would have to connect. Yes, keeping that. it real yeah. about everything because uh-huh. like one of my biggest downfalls I feel was just always just not being oh so open about everything because mm-hmm. I was just like always worried about what someone. Yes. Mm-hmm. But now, girl, look, I'm telling open you, t- open book, <laughs> open it up, girl. Let's uh-huh. dig deep. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I talk about everything. You know, yeah. when people come talking to me about relationships or whatever, let's get to the bottom of why this is happening. Right. Let's get to these underlying issues. Why mm-hmm. do you feel this way? What's happening? You know, you know, why, you know, so hey, yeah, good, good conversation, girl. And then me, I
1: do think, you know, I'm a chef. <laughs> okay. I love to feed people and cook. Mm-hmm. That's my passion. Well,
0: you know, I love to eat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, um, I like to eat, girl. Uh, <laughs> it's clear,
2: you know, but Look, yeah. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm not the best cook,
2: but I will eat. Right. Know,
0: my friends always tease me, like I told you before, I was pescatarian look alligator deer oh, rabbit all of this <laughs> but even with me being pescatarian with just fish and you know shrimp seafood, or whatever mm-hmm. seafood but my friends still always crack jokes like if we go out to eat and it's something that they don't like and I can eat it like just give it to Janine you know she would <laughs> eat it right <laughs> like, I remember when um like a, about a year or so ago, when I went to Barcelona and mm-hmm. we were trying to try like the paella, which is like a traditional Spanish dish, and mm-hmm. my friends just like, Ugh, I don't like it. I'm like, Girl, if you don't give me that, that bowl, it's like, <laughs> we, we didn't pay for it. Like, you yeah. don't need to throw it away. Okay, but, you don't have to be, but this is going right, to be good. Right, okay. But I so want to thank both of you for no, like, yes. taking your time out today because I know y'all want to explore the <laughs> and city. No, no,
2: thank you for having us. It yeah, was definitely no, great. No problem,
1: I, you no know. problem. So, and if you know any um uh, organizations or nonprofits that can collaborate with us in California or making some changes with legislation, with the law, helping kids do some mentorship, oh yeah, please feel so free to I reach out. I have people that... Um, I'm gonna to talk to y'all about it after
0: we're done with this session. You okay. can then check out we'll our website. Initial.
2: It's lifeafter.org. dot org. You mm-hmm. know, it says life with a Y, mm-hmm. right? Life with a Y after mm-hmm. dot org. And like I said, we're you know new. We're just trying to get everything going. Mm-hmm. We're trying, you know, if we take construct constructive criticism, you know, we we're, yeah. we're here. Mm-hmm. We're open to whatever. We just want to help. And, and we
1: also, I think this is really big. We're really working on for the upcoming holiday season to help children, um, of incarcerated people, informally incarcerated people, also those people coming out um, of the system because a lot of times they come out with absolutely nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. So we want to be able to give them care packages just to get them started and also, again, for the kids to be able to have a happy holiday season. Right. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. we're working on that. Yeah, we want to do that. Cause you
2: know it's hard. You don't have any money. You come home, they get. I came home, they put me on house arrest. Yeah. And they gave me a bill attached to the house arrest. You oh, have to you goodness. have to pay for that. Are you they serious? Put you I on... did not know that. Yeah, they put you on house arrest and oh. the monitor. You mm-hmm. have to pay, pay them for monthly. That. Like I think it's it was like, like eighty. How? It was like eighty eight dollars. I think mine was a month, and I was just like, I don't have a job. Right. I don't have no money. I don't have access to any of the funds before mm-hmm. I went to jail. Like
1: you right, know, what, what am I supposed to, to do? And that's a violation if you don't pay it. And one more thing before we close, I wanted to um, tap in on. We really want to. We want to raise funds for. To get a halfway house for women in California because what people don't know is that when you come out of prison they put you in a halfway house full of men. I was shocked. Oh I got goodness. out and I come to this place and it's all these strange looking men so of course I didn't want my kids to come there and you throw them into that. Yeah. So now you look at and it's a lot of different. It's a mm-hmm. lot. So I feel like if we could create And a lot a, that people don't know about. Yeah. I I, I, know if it. we could create a safe haven for these women transitioning out of prison just to come that would be so awesome, and they can
2: spend mm-hmm. time with their kids. or Their kids might not be able to stay there, yeah. but I mean, you know, you don't have a place. You want to reconnect with your kids. You don't right. have no money. It's the holidays. You want them to get a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, something. I like, physically yes. can see them. Yes, form so, some type
1: of relationship. But you don't want to come near all these
2: strange
0: men and all that. So Raleigh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Once so, again, <laughs> yeah, girl, because we can keep going. Yeah. You gonna, gonna have a five-hour show today, messing with us, girl. <laughs> so, guys, in closing, always remember that your story is not solely for you. It is meant to be shared with other women and provide hope to those facing similar hurdles. You don't have to be ashamed, and you definitely don't have to be afraid to share. You are a victor. You are a winner, and you will not be defeated. You declare growth and prosperity over your life, and troubles don't last always you are brilliant, bold and beautiful. You are her heroic, empowering and re- and resilient. And once again, thank you all for tuning in. Um major major shout out to my guests i also want to um make sure that you all are following me on social media i'm on instagram at her story underscore podcast i'm on facebook at her story podcast you can please share this um if you are empowered in any type of way i'm on apple podcast soundcloud and google play and once again this is jay jameson with her story and we're out